Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the good news with Angie Austin. Now with the good news. Here's Angie. Hi, friend. Angie Austin here with the good news with one of my very favorite guests, uh, author, uh, movie maker, speaker, Jim Stovall. We're talking about his winner's wisdom column, Why We Act This Week. Why we act. Welcome, Jim Stovall. Why do we act? What's going on with this? Well, it is great to be with you, as always. The reason we act, it comes from internal desire. We do everything we do to either gain pleasure or avoid pain. That's the only thing that will get us human beings up and moving. And since we succeed or fail based on what we do, it's important to know why we act. Why do we do what we do? And these kind of uh, activities fall into three categories. Stuff we have to do. Like we all have to do our taxes in April, or Uncle Sam will come and talk to you. (laughs) Second thing, things we ought to do. You know, we ought to go get a checkup and go to the dentist and get our car checked out and do all these maintenance things we should do. But nothing bad's going to happen immediately if we don't. But eventually something really bad will happen. And then the things, you know, we have to do, we ought to do, and we want to do. And that's, you know, really the basis of having a successful life. You know, it's interesting because this is something that I think we have to kind of maybe break this down with our kids and have them go through the article and then make a list of things they have to do, ought to do and want to do. Because I'm finding, especially them being teenagers, it's it's really the what we really want to do. Although Riley does have a business, you know, reselling high end sneakers. And so he does. Uh, he's pretty good about getting most things done and has brought his grades up. But I do have one kid right now with an F and we finally just put her phone in the safe. I'm like, you. this is not something you have to do or have enough self-control to uh, control yourself and do homework rather than be on your phone. So we just have to take it because they haven't learned really to make these decisions properly. Not that even adults do sometimes, but it takes a lot of self-control. Yeah. And, and there are some shortcuts we can help ourselves and our kids with. One, on the things we have to do, there's a term I invented called procrastination. <laughs> let's get out in front of it. If our taxes are due April 15th, let's start it in February. Let's put it on our calendar and start it. Because what that does is on those cold, nasty, rainy, dreary days, we can do it then. It's still not fun to do your taxes, but at least you, it may not be keeping you from doing something else. If you wait till three days before on April 12th, I promise you it'll be a sunny, wonderful day, and your best friend will want to go do something you've always wanted to do, and you can't do it because you have to do your taxes. But if you'll procrastinate on the things you have to do, it'll make a difference. Then on the things you ought to do, you should always have a list of stuff you ought to do, and it should either be on your calendar 
or on a pending list of things that you look at monthly. Mm -hmm. And we have that here in our office. All these things that uh, I ought to do someday, a book I ought to write, a movie I ought to make, you know, this contact I ought to follow up on, and I don't really have a specific time right now to do it, so on the 15th of every month, I make that happen. And then we can take the things we, we want to do and we can combine them with the, the, the things we have to do and ought to do. For example, once I get my taxes done and once I get the car checked out and talk to my insurance guy that I've been waiting on for far too long, mm-hmm. once I get those two things done, I'm going to book the beach weekend I've always wanted to have and go stay at this incredible place where Angie goes. And so it could be like a, uh, you know, a reward per se when you've done the have to do and the ought to do. Exactly, because, you know, we gain pleasure or we avoid pain. And it's always so much better to move toward gaining pleasure. And, uh, you know, that way we can take our taxes, something we have to do, and the only reason we're doing it now is to avoid the pain of uh, Uncle Sam knocking on your door, if you don't. And we can turn that into, I want to do, as soon as I get my taxes done, you know, it'll be off, and then the be on the way on my beach weekend, and I've been looking forward to that. So I can get everything in my life so nothing's a hassle, nothing's a rush, and everything ends up in something I want to do. And I think, too, just the overall quality of your life improves because it gives you such anxiety when you have so many things on your list. I I probably keep my ought to do list um, a little bit long, but I have, you know, it's just a list per se. And I try to capitalize things that I need to do sooner in all caps, you know, and I'll go through and change the list. And it's not very organized. It doesn't have dates on it or anything like that. Like, for instance, today I have to pick up my mom's prescription. So, like, that's at the top, you know, and it could be done anytime in the next two weeks. But I know they'll put it back if I don't go soon. Mm -hmm. So I feel guilty because I don't want to make them do extra work. And then tax returns. I did what you said. We had, like, February. Oh, it's Valentine's Day. So romantic. We went to the tax guy on valentine's day and got that you know all done so we've already been sent you know while we were on vacation we got our uh final packet like mid-march of everything that was you know already done so that's uh you know a great feeling and i think with some of these things do what you do you've surrounded yourself with so many people that help you get these things done that we probably do pay too much for our tax guy but he's so good gets back to us right away and makes the whole process less painful we went to a cheaper guy and I think you get what you pay for, at least in our case, where he forgot to put in certain things. Or, I, you know, I, I said, no, I gave you this already. Why are you asking for this again? Like someone that I mean, he just made it painful for me to do the taxes. So I'd rather pay. I mean, it's literally probably three times as much. But it, this guy makes it so easy. So I feel like you have surrounded yourself with very well compensated employees that have been with you for decades because your ought to do and your have to do lists get done more efficiently because you're surrounded by people that help you uh, and sometimes just do these things for you, but help you do these things. Yeah, a, a cheap tax guy, brain surgeon, airline pilot is uh, expensive, if not dangerous. You right. want to have, you know, good quality people doing this. And as you know, we have the Stovall Center for Entrepreneurship at the local university. So I work a lot with the kids and I tell them always college is about learning time management, nothing else. It's learning how to get stuff done when you're supposed to. And when you first get here, you have a paper due in seven weeks and 
and when you're 19 years old, seven weeks is forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's never going to get here. So you just uh, forget it and don't worry about it. Well, the problem is other things are going to start piling up and other things. And I told them that there are these secret meetings faculties have in the middle of the night. And like, how can we pile all this on Angie all at once? And uh, and it'll come and see they're having that meeting. And if you will get out and procrastinate and do this in the beginning when you should, you won't have to worry about that. And then the payoff is if you don't do that now and you wait till the last minute, the night before your paper is due, the most beautiful, gorgeous young lady or guy on this campus is going to ask you out and you can't go because you didn't do your paper back when you should have. And it's a universal law. <laughs> yeah, I used to be not quite as good as this and, you know, good at that per se. Um, you know, I always worked full time all through high school and college. I worked seven days a week. So I'd work every night, um, at least a four or five hour shift. Um, and then every weekend I would work and it was at a hospital. So I would like um, in high school, I'd like we lived in low income housing. So I needed to work to be able to afford a car and my books and clothes. Anyway, I um, would clean the morgue or the operating rooms or labor and delivery or the emergency room after. You know, they'd open someone's chest up and it was like gauze and blood, and just hor- horrible. It was not like a fun job, right? And then I, I moved up to cl- doing the instruments, right? So I would do the instrument trays um, for the operating room, like sterilize them um, in like a big autoclave. So that was a little bit better. Okay, so all this time I worked at this hospital for seven years, high school and college, and then Um, When I get to um, NBC in LA, that was my first job. I had like a $10 an hour job ripping scripts. And I remember someone saying to me, how did you get an on-air job and, you know, get on the assignment desk? I was like, I guess I made six figures six months out of college because I was so good at um, the assignment desk. And when they, during the riots, one of our assignment editors fell asleep and missed like this huge story when they did all these arrests of like that Reginald Denny case and a bunch of others. And we were the only station that missed it. And they're like, how did you miss it? everybody's like well he sleeps you know all night long you know I knew because I I was there with him you know Mm -hmm. so anyway I ended up getting his job um, uh, and to make a long story short someone said well how did you get an on-air job so quickly you know and how did you get that union job so quickly and I said well to be honest with you you know I work as many hours as I possibly can I take any shift they ask me to I'll work triple shifts I was there for you know days on end during the riots or floods or fires um, I'd sleep in the the uh, tonight show dressing room on Friday night so that I could get up early and do fill in for weekend weather so uh, and then I drive to Santa Barbara every weekend to do weekend weather when I got that job and then they let me be on air LA and I'll never forget one of the people that was per se beneath me on the hierarchy said how did you do all this I said well my my apartment's a mess I haven't taken my dry cleaning Um, you know I have automatic uh, paycheck you know into my bank um, deposit I said there's so many things in my life that don't get done like getting new tires or any everything fell on the have to get done because all I did was work and so, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't go to the Getty Center. I didn't go down to the beach and swim, even though I bought a condo on the ocean front. I didn't. So all I did was things that I had to do, which was work. So when she said, how do you do this? And I said, well, I would say it's almost complete sacrifice, you know, and I guess for me, Jim, the reason I did it is because I, I was embarrassed about being poor and living in low-income housing and having nothing. So I wanted to work my way to poverty. So I had to learn now as I got older, like I never cleaned. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. 
I never clean, like did dishes or like, I don't know, I'd use paper plates. So now that I have time, I've had to learn like a whole new life because all I did were the things I had to do because I felt I had to get ahead at any cost, you know, like uh, with my education, graduating with honors, all of that. So now I have to kind of reevaluate this whole have to do, ought to do, want to do because I have a different life now. Oh, absolutely. And I, I always learn something from the Angie Austin show. And uh, one of them, of course, is this thought of you cleaning the operating room, but you haven't done your dishes in a month. Right. And, uh, you know, that's just fascinating. And then, uh, and then the other thing is I'm always adding to my various lists. I have a list of jobs I never want to do. Yeah, the cleaning morgue. the morgue is right up there, Angie. I, I, Everybody. I now know someone that's done that, actually. And, uh, you know, I just... You know, there's a lot of things I'd rather not do, and that's one of them. It was so spooky, and I was always, I never wanted to go near the refrigerator area, because I, you know, figured there'd probably be somebody in there, and so, yeah, I thought it was so scary, because I'm like 16 years old by myself in the morgue, and it was really dark, and it's in the basement, of course, right? It's like a horror mm-hmm. movie, let's be honest. So, anyway, yes, that was one. And then, um, last question, because we only have a minute left, um, how do you come up with all these ideas? I mean, how long... I know I've asked you this in the past, but do you keep a list of these ideas? You do one of these columns every week. You've written over 50 books. You're probably around 54, 55 now, right? Yeah, something like that. Okay, so where do you come up with these ideas for the columns every week? Well, it's interesting. I started writing it 20 years ago. The guy said, give me an idea of something, and I wrote one. And Back then, I had one little newspaper carried it. Now there's hundreds throughout Europe and Asia and North America here. But I had one, and then he said, do it again and do it again. Well, now everything's a column for me. You know, I mean, there there will probably be a column at some point in the future, jobs I don't want to do. And, uh, and, and I, I can assure you, cleaning the morgue will be highlighted right there. Because, you know, when I listen to the news or go through my daily routine or talk to people, everything's a column. I mean, everything, you know, all you got to do is go through life and wait for something to mess up and ask how could you have avoided that. And that's a great column or a book. I mean, that's all life is, is just, uh, you know, recovering your old fumbles. You know, wait till something screws up and fix it. My friend once said you got ahead with a toilet brush. Um... <laughs> in a book, in a textbook, you know, because I studied and cleaned, you know, but not clean for myself. You're right. All right, Jim, where do we go to find you? Jim Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, JimStovall.com. Thank you, Jim. Be well. Julesburg is listening to the Mighty 670 KLT. When disaster strikes, look to the helpers. Look to Ark Thrift again, one of the first on the scene to help those affected by the Marshall fires. Just as they did with the floods and COVID, they are again providing critical relief to the communities they serve. Many communities suffer from the bystander effect when struck by tragedy, when people tend to watch as others suffer, passive and unwilling to step in. We are lucky to have Arc Thrift in our local communities to step up and help where others don't. As a listener, you too can step up. Support their mission by shopping in their stores and by donating to the relief fund at arcthrift.com. Putting the pieces back together is a long-haul effort. Relief efforts for the Marshall Fires are needed on an ongoing basis. Again, don't hesitate to visit the Arc Thrift website to gift a donation and help give back to your local community. The website is arcthrift.com. That's arcthrift.com. 
Hi, friend. Angie Austin here. Welcome to the Good News. Really excited to have an author on the show today, Norm McCombs, uh, the author of A Reason to Be a Novel, and it's a semi-autobiography a biographical novel. And uh, Mr. McCombs is also an accomplished engineer and uh, recent widower. And he's kind of gone back and found out a lot about his past. And that's really helped him out a lot with his present and his future. Welcome to the program, Norman McCombs. Thank you very much. All right. So this is fascinating. I've been reading about, you know, you're an inventor, you are an engineer, you were given an award by President Obama, uh, you took care of your wife when she was sick with Alzheimer's. So what made you want to go back and do all this research into your past and then write this semi-autobiographical book? Give us kind of a nutshell picture. Well, I spent uh, six years taking care of my wife before I lost her. And uh, <clears throat> I had written a lot when I was young. And I was encouraged to start up again. And so therapeutic for me, actually, uh, distracted me. I was in deep depression over losing my wife for quite some time. And the writing got me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it was a good distraction. And it's, it's uh, semi-autobiographical. It is. It's about, it's 100% emotionally Nonfiction. Okay. It's uh, as far as my relatives are concerned that I researched, uh, they are nonfiction. But it's obviously that I had to make up a lot of dialogue and fill in the blanks. So I really couldn't very well call it uh, uh, nonfiction. So in any event, it, it, it helped me get out of the black hole I was in. And now I'm doing a, I've done a screenplay. So that's. That's interesting. It's a world I've never been in before, and I'm looking forward to that. Now, I understand, in addition to the writing and caring for your wife, uh, you also uh, have many inventions under your belt, one that uh, is known you know, for helping save people in the midst of uh, uh, surgery. Can you tell me a little about that? Uh, actually, um not so much surgery. It is used in surgery by the military, but it's, it's called an oxygen concentrator. I invented it some years ago, and that's really the reason I went to the White House. The, the Obama gave me the National Medal of Technology for that. It's a device that instead of having cylinders of oxygen uh, delivered to your home, uh, it's an appliance that separates air and delivers oxygen as you need it. It's called an oxygen concentrator. That's super cool. Okay, so you received an award from President Obama, honored at the White House. Uh, what made you decide to go so far back in your history? I mean, I understand that the, the book starts in 15th century Scotland. You met someone that really prompted you to, and, and helped you get out of your depression by prompting you to look into your past? Uh, yes, I did. Um, there was a relative of mine in Toronto, Canada, Murray McCombs, who done a lot of research on it, and he, I actually didn't—I didn't know anything about my background. But he, he catalyzed my interest. He passed away. I didn't have a chance to spend much time with him, but uh, he catalyzed my interest, and I and I had intended to go back, but then my wife—I'll go back and look at my history. But then my wife got uh, Alzheimer's. Grace was her name, and uh, I'm sorry, I get a little choked up. Um, uh, so, anyway, I got a hold. I found out a lot about my background, and it intrigued me. And I intended to go back and write about it eventually. And then I lost Grace, and I, 
but I wasn't able to pull myself together for a while. But a couple of years ago, I started to write, uh, and it, it was it was a just something that came to my mind you know, where I would uh, talk about my distant past in the 15th century, and then the uh, recovery from my wife's the loss of my wife, and then uh, met a person that helped me do the research for my ancestry. So it goes back to uh, Scotland, Ireland, uh, pre-revolutionary war, America, Canada, back to America. Uh, so it's a journey, and it came from the heart, and it, it was very therapeutic for me. And I decided to make a good movie, so I wrote a screenplay, entered contests, and uh, won a couple of them, and I'm looking for looking for a producer right now. So that's, it's fun. You've, made some, you've gotten some uh, nice reviews I was reading on Amazon. Uh, <clears throat> now, I, I know you'd written before, you mentioned that. How long were you married to Grace? Uh, 55 years. That's one of my favorite names. My daughters are Hope and Faith, and Grace would have been the next. I, I absolutely love that name. Uh, you know, what was the writing process like for a reason to be, you know, coming out of grief like that, obviously it helped during the process, it helped to bring you back into the sunshine. Uh, was, was, by the time you finished the book, were you feeling much, much better? Uh, yeah, I was feeling, yeah, I describe it that way. It did. Uh, I was in deep depression. And uh, so in the, the early writing uh, was uh, very, it just came from the heart. It just came out. I just wrote it as it came. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then when I uh, connected with this individual that would help me with the research, that was, um, I, 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 my wife had been gone for six years, and uh, I, I found a woman that was deeply, deeply into uh the uh, ancestry search and as a result of meeting her I started looking back further and further and found some very interesting characters back there okay so in writing the book um, a lot of it obviously about you but you had to you know make up you know past uh, uh, conversations etc what was the most uh, surprising thing that you found out uh, shocked you the most about your ancestry uh, multiple of things one of them was I had uh, Oliver Cromwell sent a lot of Scots over to Ireland and he gave the Scottish people uh, Irish land and that's where the troubles began. Um, one of my ancestors, a uh, fifth great grandfather, was John Gordon McCombs. Uh, he was one of those people that settled in, in Belfast, Ireland. Uh, I went over there and uh, researched him and uh, I found out that he had had a uh, a bastard son named Timothy, and that that was a as a result of a uh, interlude with a maid, and his wife accepted Timothy as their son, and that which I thought was profound, especially back then. I'll say, and and they uh, they they decided to come to the United to not pre-revolutionary United States, and he had and that was John Gordon McCombs. He had a son. Uh, Timothy, as I said, the bastard child, and an Alexander Jr. They uh, they came to the states. Alexander Jr. became quite wealthy. Uh, he got into the fur trade, 
went, went on from landing in, in the northeast and went west. We got into fur trade, made a lot of money, came back to uh, New York and New Amsterdam, I guess it was at the time. And he, he became friends with Alexander Hamilton. Oh, wow. Between the two of them, they um, uh, owned the 25% of New York State at one time. Sheesh. Uh, yeah. So he he was quite a character. His son, well, let me finish that off a little bit. He and Alexander Hamilton, they uh, got in trouble. It was considered a land grab. Alexander Hamilton obviously went on to greater things, but my uh, my relative wound up in debtor's prisons. Oh, you kind of uh, got out. Alexander Hamilton got him out, and he became one of the founders of New York Stock Exchange. My goodness, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then his son, Alexander (laughs) Jr., won the first Congressional Medal of Honor. Oh, my. I read a lot about that. That was during the War of 1812. And if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Norman McCombs, and uh, uh, the book is A Reason to Be a Novel. Norman, after nursing his wife through Alzheimer's and after the loss of his wife, was really feeling a deep depression and uh, started looking into his ancestry, writing this book. He'd already had numerous inventions, received uh, an award for one of them from uh, President Obama at the time. And uh, this was really cathartic for him to write this semi-autobiographical novel. Okay, so tell us, uh, uh, Norman, what what do you want? What would you want people to get out of uh, of the book when they read uh, a reason to be a novel? Uh, get get help. I did. I I'm a scientist slash engineer, and I felt confident that somehow there was a cure. And I did nothing for many years, but trying to find that. And I I, I sold businesses. I just dedicated myself to trying to find a way to cure grace. It didn't happen then, and it's, it hasn't happened. I almost put myself in the in the grave. I did not ask for help. That's what I would tell your listeners. Get help. There's so many organizations, Alzheimer's Association. You know, they're, they're put together groups, people to discuss issues. You know, the people you're caring for, in many cases, don't even know who you are, so they are oblivious, but the people that they're caring for them, it's extremely difficult. So I did not ask for help until I, I had to. I couldn't get out of bed anymore. And that that's what's presented in Chapter 1. Uh, so get help. Don't sit on it. Um, there's no cure for it yet. I, but the proceeds for this from this novel are going to the Alzheimer's Association. Oh, that's wonderful. So, Again, get get help. Reach out for others. I would not do that. I was too proud somehow. I felt I, that I could handle it. I could solve the problem. And uh, or that someone out there that I didn't know about was making advances, and I would had to uncover them, but I was not able to. And then finally I had to give Grace up to private care. And then she didn't last very long after that. But anyway. It's an unholy disease. Uh, I, it, it takes um, emotional control. It's just not something that most people have. And I, I didn't. I just fell apart. But I'm back now. I'm, I'm living in Nevada. I'm deeply involved with UNL, University of Nevada. And it's keeping me busy. Well, that's an important thing, too. I would suggest you know, keep busy, get distracted. Travel if you can. 
make new friends. You make friends just by joining groups that that have had similar issues with Alzheimer's. Uh, Isn't that the truth? Norman, my uh, my uncle, who's like a father to me, uh, his wife uh, died of Alzheimer's. And then he was playing tennis with a woman whose husband was also dying of Alzheimer's. And uh, he didn't remember her anymore. He'd always say things to her like, uh, hey, when is that nice lady going to come back? Is she coming back soon? And she goes, oh, you mean the maid? And he was talking about her, but he didn't know it was her anymore. And then my my uh, uncle's wife, she became very violent and would, you know, would hurt him. So it, it was so painful to watch. But the two of them ended ended up coming together, falling in love, entering tennis tournaments and winning all of these awards. And it was so beautiful to see them find love again after that. And it reminds me of your story, just finding a love of life again. And I want to make sure that people know where to find your novel. I found uh, a reason to be a novel by Norman McCombs on Amazon.com. Is there another website you want to refer people to? It's also available Kindle and uh, audio. The audio is great fun. I found a fellow really puts on the accents very well. Oh, great. Wow. Well, that's good to know. You can't beat that. And there's also Kindle as well. So that's a good way for me to get it to my mom. Norman McCombs, I can't thank you enough. Wonderful speaking with you about your novel, A Reason to Be. And God bless you. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, finding a way out of that darkness. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM 670 KLTT. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.